They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. Oh, this week on the Legion Clubhouse, we have another two-parter. Another two-parter and the terrible secret of Starfinger. Adventure Comics number 335, Starfinger. Published August 1965, written by Edmund Hamilton with art by John Forte. The Legion faces their most terrible villain yet, but Saturn Girl's telepathy reveals him as one of their own. This week, Matthew, in Adventure Comics number 335 and 336, we have another two-parter, mm-hmm. and I find this very fascinating on a number of different uh, levels. Mm-hmm. Some of them just totally bizarre. Some of them... Uh, maybe a little bit more deep. But uh, this week we won't uh, let the listeners hang on uh, for two weeks to see how it wraps around because these two just line up uh, against one another as we take a look at Starfinger. Yep. And it's interesting because it's been just about long enough for DC editorial circa 1965 to have sales figures and responses from the audience which I think may imply that that first two-parter that we saw a couple of episodes ago, actually across two episodes, I think, may have been a success. It may have been something that people, either the readers liked it or editorial thought it was a really good idea. Well, and I think it's it's probably two things. Uh, First of all, it is probably readers like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. For the longest time, stories are done in ones, right? If you miss... An issue because of poor shipping, because you don't have a good distribution method and your comics miss a week or two or a month out at your at your grocery store, then it's no big deal. You can just go pick up the next issue and chances are there is nothing in continuity that ties the two together. Right. In the last two episodes of the Legion Clubhouse, we did have a true two parter, one where it was definitely come back next week, kids, because something important is going to happen. And then you get the resolution of that. So uh, part of it is um, maybe some kids or maybe some readers really enjoyed that. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think that maybe at this point distribution had started settling down a little bit and uh, comics were able to get to stores a little bit more on a regular basis. There's also another issue that comes mm-hmm. up when we're dealing with uh, two-parters and multi-story arcs. Now, Again, for listeners that are that are joining us maybe for the first time, because everybody's podcast is somebody's first podcast, <laughs> we're not talking about themes and story elements that appear, you know, five issues later. We're not talking about a flight belt suddenly turning into a flight ring or three right. of your powerhouses banging their heads against the Iron Curtain of Time for three <laughs> issues. Those are not story arcs. What we're talking about is this story is so long that it has to fill two issues worth of comics. Right. The There's another thing that's going on right about this time too, and that is DC and Marvel are starting to slug it out with one another. And one of the yeah. things that's going on is Marvel is kicking DC's butt. I mean, DC is rather old, a little stick in the mud from, from some people's perspective. Here's Marvel. They're new and they're fresh. And Marvel starts cranking out 
multi-part story arcs. As I was doing some some um, digging around, if we look at Fantastic Four number 57 through uh, 60, that takes place in 1966. That's a year mm-hmm. after this. But you have Amazing Spider-Man in 1965 has multi-story arcs. You also have, if you want to go way back in time, you have Wiz Comics number 25 had a multi-part story arc back in 1941. And Captain right. Marvel Adventures had Mr. Mind and the Monster Society of Evil back in 1943 that I I want to say ran like uh, 12 issues. It was like 12 individual chapters, yeah. which is really unheard of. Oh, yeah, for 1943. So Absolutely. there's a lot of things going on at this time that make you wonder, oh, maybe these multi-part story arcs are working. It's working for Marvel. Maybe it'll work for DC. It's been done before. Why don't we do it? But here's maybe another reason beyond just distribution, Matthew. Mm-hmm. If I tell you that you have to come back next week to find out the end of this story, I've hooked you for two issues instead of one issue. Ah, uh, the first one's free, kid. Well, not necessarily. The cover price is 12 cents. <laughs> but even so, definitely, yeah, you you have that, hey, come back and buy another issue. Yeah, now I haven't done a lot of uh, thorough, in-depth research. This is my uh, one hour of research on, on the Internet about uh, multi-part story arcs. But it is interesting that we do get one a couple of issues ago that seems to work well. And now let's repeat that process with Starfinger, the 30th century villain more dangerous than... Goldfinger, Goldfinger, which is really, really weird that they're talking about, you know, they're using Goldfinger on the cover because movies come out in the theater. They have their run in the 1960s and then they go away. And unless you're going to a, you know, a one dollar drive in or something, this is mm-hmm. stuff that's not appearing on television. This is not something you can just pop off down to your local video rental store and pick up a copy of Goldfinger. Goldfinger came out in September of 1964. This book comes out almost a year later. But the question becomes, what type of, you know, vi- uh, of movie theater sell-through would there have been in 1964? I mean, would a movie stay in the theater for several months It would at a stay time? in for about three months, at most. So if it stayed in for about three months, and Goldfinger was kind of a big deal, that was a Connery, right? Uh, yes, Sean Connery. Yeah. Was that the second or the third? That was uh, Ari Goldfinger robbing uh, Fort Knox. I want to say it's like the third movie because I think Thunderball was number two, if I re- if I remember my Bond films correctly. This is That's not the James Bond podcast. We could launch that with a little bit more from our Kickstarter patrons, but um, the Bondcast. Yeah, but uh, I think Thunderball was second, and then Goldfinger was third or fourth. I'll take your word for it, but I think that James Bond movies were a huge deal. I mean, they were a cultural landslide. To where we got the Matt Helm movies, we got the other movies, and I think that to have DC, you know, reference Goldfinger on the cover is weird, certainly, mm-hmm. but it's not unheard of. I mean, right. the the occasional pop culture thing that you see will come up. I mean, they had that that notorious crossover with uh, what's his name, uh, John Kennedy, who, did, who got who did got War shot just before the the book came out. Orson Welles. There's a whole issue where Superman teams up with Orson Welles. Oh, yeah. And Batman teams up with Sherlock Holmes, you know, all kinds of weird things. It's just odd that that is a cover thing. Now, had this had this issue. And again, this says August. So remember, that's the cover date. We got to back that up three months, right? April, April or May. So there could still be some some spillover from the previous year, but I doubt that it's still so high. And if you figure that you've got to spend a uh, month or two getting these stories together Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe this was right at the end of the Goldfinger popularity. 
that this issue was written. I think it's right at the height of Goldfinger popularity, right in the middle of the the Goldfinger. I mean, they're nine months behind. It's 1965. That is the cutting edge, the pulse of pop culture, nine months behind. Uh, Dr. No was the first James Bond movie, of course. From Russia with Love was number two. Ah, Goldfinger was number three, and then Thunderball was number four. So I got my my second and my fourth ones flipped around. Goldfinger (laughs) firmly right there at number three. Besides, but, nobody remembers From Russia with Love. It had that beautiful song where the girl sang to Sidney Poitier. Yes. Yeah. From Some, Russia. From, from, from uh, May to June. Love. Yeah. And maybe that's why this issue still has Goldfinger on the cover because of so many mm-hmm. months in between. But let's talk about Starfinger. Can I just say that Starfinger is terrifying? Well, His so what year did Black Manta horrifying. come out? What, what year did Black Manta become an Aquaman villain? I want to say 61. Um, Black Manta was was pure Silver Age. But then, I mean, Golden Age Aquaman was kind of a a strange thing. Actually, looking it up, Aquaman 35, September of 67. So three full years. Yeah. So this is a very proto-Black Manta costume, uh, except for the fact that the costume is purple and the helmet is pink or fuchsia, depending on which way you want to look at it. The eye slots, rather than being kind of weird flat eye slots, are actually like... Big old globules. bomb pointy things that look like, yeah. like a 1940s bra or something. It's, it's, really, it's really an odd costume. It's uh, hard so much to so, draw, too. It's what? It's hard for them to draw from panel to panel. I mean, yeah. you can see Fort struggling with how to make this. Co- and even on the cover, if you look at it, his head looks like it's at a strange angle. Mm-hmm. Even Swan could figure out how to draw it. And if Swan can't figure out how to draw you, you are messed up. Starfinger. So here's here's a little foreshadowing into the next issue. And, and since this all ties together, we'll just kind of try to keep the, the conversation going from uh, to include both issues. At one point, mm-hmm. uh, Starfinger is out in space. He's already got a helmet on, but he's got to put another helmet on. <laughs> it's literally a hat on a hat. Right. And I'm surprised you didn't just jump up and down and go, this is the greatest costume ever. Well, this is the thing. David Bowie said, take your proton pills and put your helmet on. He did not specify, don't do it if you already have a helmet on. So clearly, that's what happened in Adventure Comics number 335. The issue, though, starts out much different. Uh, We get introduced to some of the out-of-heroic antics of the Legion of Superheroes, like Dirk, uh, good old son boy. He's on a date and he gets dumped because he needs to go do Legion business. And his girlfriend is like, listen, if you be going off with your friends, I'm going to be dumping you right now. This is interesting. Three things happen in the very first panel of this issue. Uh, First of all, I think this may be the first time we have heard his full uh, civilian name stated. Even in his origin, I don't remember them saying. Dirk Morgna. Dirk Morgna, which, by the way, is just an anagram for Crid Morgan. But secondly, we get the first appearance of Sunboy being a womanizer and a douche because he's like, oh, I totally forgot about that Legion meeting. See ya, deuces. And this girl is like, you suck, Dirk Morgan. This is like the introduction of the fake phone call. Oh, baby, I got an emergency. I I gotta go. Aunt Kathy is in the hospital and she needs me (laughs) to give a kidney. The other thing that we see is Cosmic Boy hanging out with his family. Mm-hmm. 47-year-old Cosmic Boy hanging out with his family because <laughs> John Fort draws him that he does not look like a teenager. He looks like a 47-year-old man. 
He looks like Walter Cronkite with a bad rug on. But yeah, this second panel is also fascinating because if you look, the little boy in the purple tights, mm-hmm. uh, the Cosmic Phantom boys, no Cosmic Boys. Look, little at, look at him. He's got the the black and white belt, <laughs> the purple costume. The only thing he's missing is the hood and the domino mask and the ring, and he's the Phantom. Fine. Braylians love the Phantom. They do. Braylians and uh, people from. Here's, uh, here's a secret thing that you didn't know, Matthew. What's that? Had the Legion of Superheroes not gone back to Smallville, mm-hmm. they would have gone back 20 more years and gone to South America and recruited uh, the Phantom instead of, of uh, Superboy. Wasn't the Phantom in Africa? Oh, at wherever he was. Okay. Interestingly, though, this is a thing that I, I, I really think you should know. Okay, what? See that little boy in that purple suit? Yes, he grows up to be Earthman. Mag- magnetic Kid. Oh, Magnetic Legion. Kid, okay. Which means, by the way, that I'm almost certain that this is the longest stay between first appearance in 1965 and joining the Legion 20 years later. Magnetic Kid joins the Legion in 1985. What, how long was it for Phantom Lass? Or not, uh, Dream Girl, I'm sorry. Dream Girl? Uh, it wasn't very long. It was only a couple of years. The okay. same goes for Polar Boy. I mean, no, I guess Polar Boy appeared before Magnetic Kid. But, you know, he was in the Legion of Substitute Heroes, so yeah. it doesn't count. It doesn't undermine my premise. So when we were in the uh, Dickie Moe of space. Right, the, the Super Moby Dick of space. Yes, we, we saw poor Lightning Lad loses his right arm, and so they had to put a, a metal prosthetic on. And Get he's just right been... On. He's just been right moaning on. this whole time. Oh, woe is me. We did talk about cloning and uh, Dr. Hansen. Hanscom. Oh, I'm sorry, Hanscom. For a minute there, I thought he was the, uh, you know, the great, 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 great grandson of the Mbop kids. He's actually Dr. Hansom. Hi, I am Dr. Hansom. I used to work with Ben Casey. Yes. Uh, anyway, he's like, look, um, medical miracles have... Uh, Taken leaps and bounds in these last couple of issues. <laughs> I love the way you put that. That's maybe the best ever. <laughs> He's like, how about, I, how, about really, I, how about I take really you to my uh, secret laboratory and I hook you up with a real arm? And an probably I'm going to clone from, uh, from like a koala or yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, and then probably the most fantastic thing we learn is mm-hmm. that nurses in the 31st century will still be wearing those little hats. They actually were retro, and they came back around. They were played out, and they <laughs> like came 47 back. forty-seven times. Right. Every 30 or 50 years. In the meantime, we learn about Rejuvium. Rejuvium. What's, what's going on with Rejuvium? Rejuvium was created by an aged prospector named Thomas Keene, mm-hmm. and it is a mineral that rejuvenates tissue. He saw a young animal take just a slight bite of the Rejuvium and turn into a young animal, and lo and behold, elderly uh, Dr. Keene ate a little rejuvium, and boom. Why is, why is that old seven. animal licking that rock? I think I'll lick it too. Oh, my goodness, I'm young again. I must take ah, this giant ah. chunk of rock and give it to the United Federation of Planets. No, 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 no. That's Star Trek. He's this had just... a little bit of a change in his mindset. I guess. There, wasn't that the, that was like an episode in season one of uh, Next Generation. Yeah. So he wants to go give it to EarthGov, <laughs> and uh, then suddenly, Starfinger shows up, yep, wanting to, to grab the, the rock of his own. Yes, but Starfinger, being a vicious, hateful, vicious hatefulness, uh-huh. nearly kills Ultra Boy, 
nearly kills Sunboy. I mean, he is willing to immediately strike with deadly force. Had Ultra Boy not switched to invulnerability, Ultra Boy could have been dead. Right. And Starboy and his thugs immediately comes comes a swooping in. Now, I should mention that it's really interesting on this Starfinger costume because not only is it this weird kind of like Michelin Man costume with a proto Black Manta uh, hood on top, the left right. hand is gloved while the right hand is mm-hmm. ungloved <gasps> and is shooting all these rays at people. Each finger does something a little different. One yep. will do a heavy ray and one will turn you into a shrinking ray and one will right. turn you into a take away your powers ray. And one goes wee, wee, wee all the way home. Problem is Sunboy uses his sun powers to heat up this rock to where nobody can touch it. So they go flying off and we get this really weird panel that I had to read like 10 times to figure out what the heck was actually going on. Mm-hmm. They didn't get the rock. Uh, Starfinger is very upset. He says, my stupid followers will soon be here, but they won't dream of his existence here in this locked room. I'm like, dream? How are they going to dream of this? I don't understand. And who's this guy in the locked room? It's a guy. It is a guy because we see the the profile on the bed, but they won't dream of his existence. That's really a weird phrasing. But I also like it that he calls uh, his uh, his cronies my stupid followers. Well, yeah, but that's I mean, that's how you refer to the critical hit crew, too. No, I call you, you, you idiotic jerks. Now, it's interesting because as Starfinger runs away to distract the Legion, he welds a cargo freighter shut. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect moment. It's one of those yatata moments where the Legionnaires have to leap into action. And who is first to leap into action with jaws of action? But Matter Eater Lad, who immediately starts biting an exit in the hull of the spaceship. Oh, yeah. And I think this is his only appearance in the entire two-part story. He actually does come back later because he has another moment where you're like, oh, well, that's an interesting use of his powers. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that. We also, so when the, go ahead. The fact that Ultra Boy is there and Cosmic Boy with magnetic powers is there and Sun Boy with massive melting powers is there and they're standing back and they're letting Tenzel take care of this. I mean, well, you know, Let's they're ready. No, they no, know. No, 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 Let's he let's let's be equal. let's be fair, because I think you're you're falling into the trap that happened to <laughs> a lot of young boys in the 1960s. Phantom Girl, who's intangible, is just like, yeah, you go ahead and eat that matter eater boy. I'm just going to walk through this wall and get to rescuing people. <laughs> Cut her some slack. No, I she am. I'm the one standing up for her. You're like, look at matter eater lad. He's doing all the work. I didn't say he's doing all the work. I'm saying that those powerful legionnaires are like, he is our equal. Let's let him do his thing. Speaking we'll of stand equals, around in our costumes. Speaking of equals, Starfinger uh, just mm-hmm. berates his idiot followers. And the way he does it is by pointing his right arm straight up in the air and straight uh, to the right and back up in the air again, almost indicating and, and pointing out that his right arm might be important. Hmm, it's the one that right doesn't have the gloves. Yeah, it doesn't have the gloves. But it, it's his right arm? It's his, it's his right arm. And what ends up happening is Starfinger and his cronies go dress up as robots. They go into the uh, intergalactic TV studio and they're like, beep, 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 beep. And they're like, ha ha, we fooled you. And they're like, dude, cardboard outfits didn't fool anybody. And he's like, well, fine, I'm going to freeze you with my pinky finger. And I'm going to threaten <laughs> that if you don't turn over the Rejuvium to me right now, I am going to destroy the seven wonders of the 30th century. They're going to destroy under the giant? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, 
that's basically your that's basically your first issue. Well, there's a couple yep. of other things that happen. That's the first half of the first part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they go after the seven seven wonders. One of them is Sun City, which is not in Arizona. Uh, or it could uh, be uh, maybe uh, for a couple uh, of minutes. Uh, ain't gonna play Sun City. So Sun City is this really weird city that rides on rails and follows the sun constantly, which means it has right. to be moving pretty darn fast. Yeah, like 10,000 miles an hour. Something like that. And uh, and so then, you know, Starfinger melts the tracks and uh, Colossal Boy has to go in there and save the day again. He's always, he's like their bridge guy. Have you noticed when, yeah. like when a bridge is about to fall, Colossal Boy, go take care of that. I'll fix the bridge, yeah, because he's big. Big guys get to fix the bridge. Yeah, and then, oh no, Starboy, he gets killed. I know, they murder Starboy. Right there on panel. That is so strange. And Colossal Boy's like, oh, Starboy's dead. You want to go on a date, Santa Girl? <laughs> okay, first of all, Starboy doesn't date Saturn Girl. Well, no, but... not now, because we find out Starboy isn't actually dead. Nope. Shut up! <laughs> Brainiac 5 comes up with some loopy theory that since Starboy's powers came from a star, Monel should fly him into space and throw him into the sun. No, he doesn't say throw him into the sun. He, he says... You have well, to take I'm, him into I'm space paralyzed. and get him close to the sun, which I can understand. Get you closer to the sun. Maybe that's going to rejuvenate, rejuvenate you faster. But the thing that's weird is you have to orbit the sun. Right. I don't think you have to orbit. I think you just have to park there for a couple of days well, and let him rejuvenate. This is interesting. They're, they're trying to rejuvenate his powers. If only there were some sort of, I don't know, rejuvium. And see, that only that. makes you younger, though. I, see, that's the thing that I think that <laughs> you're saying, oh, how come this doesn't just regrow an arm? Or, oh, how come this doesn't just uh, fix somebody who's dead? No, it doesn't. It doesn't regrow stuff. It's not a it's not right. a stem cell. All right. Well, he he fought Starfinger today. Just make him as young as he was yesterday when he wasn't murdered. Yeah, I don't think it works that way. Well, it should. But it writes it writes Starboy out for the rest of the issue. Right. Uh, then they, they knock Cosmic Boy out. They also yep. knock out the Invisible Kid. Mm -hmm. And then he goes after the second wonder of the 30th century, the Stratosphere Laboratory. Stratosphere Laboratory. Which is really dumb because they should have known that the Stratosphere was blown up in Las Vegas years okay. ago. And the thing that really gets me is this thing is apparently a giant laboratory built on uh, those protractors that we used to use in 7th grade math. <laughs> Just yeah. up into the and it's, sky. And it's up high enough to where they all have to wear helmets, and that's where we see uh, Starfinger wearing a helmet on a helmet. Um, a hat on a hat, if yeah. you will. Yep. Good and then he, he nullifies a bunch of people's powers, and he destroys the Stratosphere Laboratory. Yep. And uh, and, and that's where this, this issue ends, because then we get a Superboy rerun. But in the last panel, Saturn Girl catches a stray thought. Oh, after something destroyed. that's important. She remembers. Uh -oh. One of us. One of us. Oh, Goof no. This can't be good. She caught a stray glimpse of his thoughts. Nobody else can look through his lead-lined uh, faces. Nobody can read his mind yeah. until he's zooming away at the last minute. And Santa Girl is like, he is one of us. And it's interesting because he uses his ring fingers and his, his well, he used his, his star fingers yes. to reverse the powers of the Legionnaires. So Star, mm -hmm. star Boy is out of, out of the picture. Colossal right. Boy, who could become giant, becomes small, which is right. the opposite of he giant. He gets shrunk. And Light Lass, who can make things light, becomes heavy, which Super is the opposite heavy. of light. 
And Matter Eater Lad, who eats things, gets turned to steel. Mm-hmm. So he can't which move. Is, which is, but that's not the opposite of eating things. No, I think he can just turn things into things. I don't like that. He has like a magic. His hands can do anything. And this is the weird thing. As we come in later on in the uh, in the second issue, mm-hmm. this is what gets really weird because we come to find out that the powers that this uh, Starfinger has mm-hmm. are so fantastic. Why this isn't a weapon that every villain in the universe wants is beyond me. Well, when you think about it, I mean these this these rays can do anything. When you think about it, though, the Legion of Superheroes are are pretty dumb, and they're the smartest people in the 30th century, which means that the criminals that they fight are extraordinarily dumb. Yeah, I guess. Let's find out what happens here in the next uh, next issue. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Let's uh, dive into this Legion outpost. Dear editor, congratulations on the super Moby Dick of space. At long last, <laughs> you had a genuine development in the Legion. I was stunned when I saw that Lightning Lad still had his metal arm at the end of the story because I'm so used to let down endings such as dreams and illusions. You're finally pleasing your readers from John Selsky <laughs> in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Dear John, that's the whole idea. Man, the editor is so mean if yeah, we don't is, please the readers. I think this is really weird that, you know, so, and again, we don't know how old John is. Uh, John, I, he might be, but he's certainly acting like a lot of the internet trolls that we see today. Yeah, they're 12. How, <laughs> how uh, everything's going to be undone. And truth be told, he's right on because so many of the stories that we see during this time period are... Well, that's the end of that. It was a dream. It was a guffaw. It was a joke. It was whatever. It's all been undone. And I'm going to bet that John is also not a longtime reader of the Legion because he would know that the death seemed to be very real until they brought him back to life, which was not just a which was not just a, a, a switch. It was literally we brought him back to life. Right. It was six months of death. Yeah. And also what was the other one that was a big uh, story arc that had ramifications? Prody died. Yeah, Prody dies. <laughs> Dear editor, can you tell me what chameleon boys in Tenne are for? A friend of mine says they give him his chameleon power, and that if he remains in a shape without them for several hours, he loses his powers. Is that correct? Also, how does Saturn Girl do it? <laughs> Sorry. Saturn's day is 10 hours, 14 minutes long, and scientists have proved that a change in the length of the day is one thing we cannot adapt to. I'll bet she goes through the meetings yawning. Fred Cow, Honolulu, Hawaii. We never found out what chameleon boys and tenai are for. We didn't like to ask him such a personal question. As for Saturn Girl, have scientists proved that Saturnarians, 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 Centenarians. The people that are 70 years old can't adapt to change in the day? Oh. That would be septu- septuagenarians. They actually did years. tell us, they told us later what his antenna are for. No, did they? It's from, yeah. from picking up uh, radio signals from space, from his robot <laughs> overlords. That's what it is. His, in, his antennae are eventually revealed to be the uh, apparatus by which he scans things mm. so that his, his uh, subconscious mind can make a copy and he can duplicate it. Mm. 
Dear Editor, The sequel to the story of Dynamo Boy was superb. The issue wouldn't have been half as exciting without the appearance of the Legion of Supervillains. They seemed like such nice people at the beginning of the story, but they were their own traitorous selves by the end, when they marooned Vorn far into the future. Let's see more of this trio in issues to come, says Peter from P Freeport, New York. You must have ESPN! See the September issue of Jimmy Olsen for a story in which the evil legionnaires blah blah blah, says the editor. Nobody mentions the fact that Vorm is dying in the far future. Uh, he'll, he'll be back, don't worry. He won't! He will, trust he's me. He's never been back! It's been 65 just, years. I know, he's had to have that much time in order to get his stuff together. Dear editor, don't the Legionnaires ever have any fun? Don't they ever go to parties or dances or just go out? Do they always have to work? Can you publish a story wherein it's a superhero's birthday and they celebrate? I'm getting sick of all these missions they're forever going on. They're always doing everything right. Don't they ever do anything's wrong or ever get scared? I really do love adventure comics, though, says Nancy in Patterson, New Jersey. The editor replies, okay, Nancy, we'll try to show more scenes of the Legionnaires' off-duty life. And if you want proof that the superheroes don't always win, you should read this issue wherein Starfinger clobbers the Legion. So here's a here's a cool thing. This is really showing, you know, the split between what boys want, what girls want, or maybe what people want in their stories. They want to know more about these characters than Biff Pow Bang. Right. And I find this super, super fascinating that this is coming from Nancy going, you know, I'd like to see these people go out on dates. I want to see them party. I just want to see them hang out for an entire issue. Now, I don't think in 1965 you would ever get DC to go along with a story where people just hang out and here is a day in the life of, of triplicate girl. That would be cool, though. It, in 1965, though, would never have happened because that's the kind of stuff that that Marvel is doing. And we're DC and those aren't the stories that we tell. <laughs> Dear Editor, in the Bizarro Legion, Superboy tries to squeeze a diamond into coal, but only crushes it to dust. But in the Hall of Fame classic in that same issue, the Boy of Steel squeezes a diamond to microscopic size. Why didn't the diamond crumble to dust in the second story or become microscopic in the first? Asks Richard from Athena, Oregon. It all depends on how he squeezes it, whether it crumbles or compressed, or at least that's the best answer we can squeeze out of our minds. And that's the way the diamond crumbles. Wah, I, wah. Yeah, for once I agree with you. Dear editor, I have read your magazine for many years, and I feel that you could use another animal in the Legion of Super Pets. For instance, Super Rabbit. I think you would be just as terrific as the other Super Pets. I have a rabbit who reads the terrific stories in your excellent comics with me, says Harold Lebow uh, Lebowitz. If your pet rabbit enjoys our mags, we think he's super. Don't forget to reward him with a bunch of carrots. Oh, and when did, when did Captain Carrot and the zoo crew get introduced? Maybe Harold Lebowitz <laughs> unintentionally created Super Rabbit. 1979? Oh, see? Some young reader out there who is going to be working for DC in the future read this. And said, no. oh, yes, and his name could be Captain Carrot. No. Dear Editor, how about taking a popularity poll to see which Legionnaires are best liked? It'd be very interesting to see which ones are the readers' favorites. I suggest you leave out Superboy and Supergirl since they have their own strips. I'll cast my vote for Monel right now, says Stephen from New York, New York. 
How about it, readers? Which of the superheroes are your favorites and why? We'll print the best answers in the Legion Outpost if they're written on a postal card in, uh, in less than 50 words. That's, you know what? Popularity contest, never something anybody wants to read because someone's always going to be disappointed. Not a good plan because nobody no. loves Matter Eater, lad. Exactly. Dear editor, I like the triumph of the Legion of Supervillains. Boy, was Lightning Lord off when he said that they would destroy the ex-Legionnaires. I especially like the fact that the story was in four parts, published in two successive issues. By the way, don't you think it would be a good idea to have a giant Legion issue, says Sean from uh, Morgantown, Kentucky? Most of our Legion stories are too recent to reprint in an 80-page giant just yet, but we'll keep that suggestion in mind for the future. I think what the editor is missing here is the kid wants a giant big story. He doesn't want, like, reprints. He wants an 80-page giant of original content. Well, I think you're forgetting the fact that they 80-page giants never had original content. I know. They were virtually all reprints. Mm-hmm. Dear editor, it looks like you and your staff don't like Lightning Lad very much. First, you kill him off. Then you give him a robot right arm. I, for one, think this is unfair. Have you started an anti-Lightning Lad organization? Says Garth from Planet Winneth. <laughs> the A-L-L-O. The editor says, honestly, we like Lightning Lad. In fact, we always get a charge out of him. Wah, wah. Uh, but we hope you won't be shocked uh, when you find out what we have in store for him in a future issue. God, I hate the editor so much. Editors are the worst. Adventure Comics number 336. The True Identity of Starfinger. Published September 1965. Written by Edmund Hamilton with art by John Forte. Starfinger is revealed to be a legionnaire. But what could make a hero turn so bad? All right, we need to reach the shocking conclusion of the Starfinger story, Matthew. If you make another shocking joke, I will leave this show. You will be electrified by the big reveal coming up at the end of this issue. I'm going to bolt. What's wrong? (laughs) Well, first of all, Legion 336 has another fabulous cover. Oh, is is this a Kurt Swan? Yeah, you can tell the Kurt Swan stuff, especially with his Superman uh, heads. Yep. Even his Superboy looks just like a old man. (laughs) <laughs> Look at Chameleon Boy, though. Chameleon Boy is clearly 35 years old. Oh, they're all... I don't think that... I don't think artists, and even today, artists still have this problem. A lot of them do. Where they find it very hard to draw a teenager. You can always draw a kid, but it comes to a teenager when they're in their gangly, weird forms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they either draw them looking too old, and of course that brings up issues of the sexualization of minors in comics, or they draw them way too young for the way they should look. And right. in the most cases with Fort and with uh, Swan and with... Uh, Mooney. The, yeah, Especially Mooney. Mooney. Yeah, all their characters look 700 years old. Well, you know, Tom Grummet, no matter who he's drawing, they look 14 and a half. So yeah, yeah. It really all boils down to the same I, thing. I do love the splash page on this issue, though. Starfinger <laughs> is doing one thing right. He is destroying a statue of Thomas Edison which, uh, you know, has my full support. I would stand up and applaud this guy if he wasn't trying to destroy the other (laughs) wonders of the uh, 30th century with his uh, magic fingers. Yeah, your Edison hatred is well known. Yes, it is. And if you want to know more about my Edison hatred people, podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Pay attention. 
But fascinatingly, uh, after that lovely splash page, by the way, mm-hmm. we immediately jump back into almost exactly where we picked up with Starfinger hurling five different bolts of energy down on the apparently St. Patrick's Day parade in Metropolis. Yeah, it's really interesting that we do get a flashback of what has happened before, which I find I find incredibly fascinating because in the last issue, we didn't spend a page saying previously in, but this one, and again, I think this is DC trying to move from a single uh, issue story to mm-hmm. are kids going to pick up this second issue? Are they going to know what's going on? Maybe we should fill them in on what's happening. And so right. we get a full page of, hey, this rejuvenium was found. People got uh, shot out of the water. Oh, here's an important part about the uh, lightning lad being taken to Dr. Handsome's uh, uh, laboratory. Right. And uh, the other guy circling around the sun for forever. Monel and Starboy, which takes Monel out of play. It but does. it's interesting to see this. This is this is uh, I think the definition is early installment weirdness because comics at, you know, circa 1965, especially DC comics, weren't necessarily these continuing stories, weren't at the point where we were seeing Stan Lee style serialized storytelling. So mm-hmm taking a whole page to do a previously on 24 riff is kind of interesting. You don't see that a lot in comics. Usually they'll, you know, they'll have somebody say, Oh, as you know, this happened, but this is literally just a big flashback thing of this is all the things that happened last issue. Yeah. And I'll be honest. I think this story could have been done in one issue. And I, and I'm just wondering if the success of the, the, the previous two parter helped encourage this. Because really, this issue is nothing more than, hey, we introduced you to two of the seven wonders of the 30th century, of the 31st century, 30th mm-hmm. century. 30th century. Let's spend this entire issue going over the other five. Well, I mean, that's kind of, I think that's kind of fine. Part no, of I, fun... I mean, I don't have a problem with it because that is one of the neat things about looking at the future is, oh, what kind of future technology can we look for? Well, we right. can look forward to the global tunnel. <laughs> which is a spectacularly stupid idea. It they, is a, it's a hole through it's a the tunnel. earth. Yeah, it's a tunnel through the earth. Through the entire earth yes. with force fields that allow you to go and even study the molten core and the mantle of the planet. If I'm not mistaken, in the remake of Total Recall, one of the things is the characters actually travel through the Earth's core as they try to get from, like, their work location to their home location. So yes. the tunnel through the Earth is not, an, you know, a new idea or an old idea in this case. It's certainly one that's been around for a long time. But, uh, yeah, but it is a dumb one. It is yes. a spectacularly dumb idea. But Starfinger decides that he's going to try to trap them all inside the Earth by destroying the generator. Little mm-hmm. does he realize that two of them get out and Superman can just uh, drill his way out with his super spinning Interestingly, he makes them look like fools because they start chasing what they think is Starfinger, and it turns out to be a missile with Starfinger painted on the side. So dumb. It is. is. So dumb. One of the Legionnaires is magnetic and can clearly probably feel metal, and the other is Superboy, who has supervision powers. This makes the Legion look really dumb. Or super overreactive. They dumb. Then we get to uh, go to the uh, the fourth wonder of the world, the Giant Hall of Fame, which is weird because you would think that between Abraham Lincoln and the 30th century, there'd be a mm-hmm. few more famous people in there besides Ben Franklin and um, uh, Columbus Abraham and Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln, and 
yeah, and Beethoven, you'd think there'd be more people in there besides that, but nope. Everything just kind of stops in 1965, and there were no important people after that. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I got to tell you, there's a PSA in this issue. Is there? There is. It's called Nature's Bill of Rights, where these three kids oh. are just throwing garbage into the river, and this dude comes up to him and gives them a schooling over, you know, we must oh, be good stewards that, of the boys. earth. Yes. Oh, I sent this to our current EPA guy. You sent it? I did. I, I tweeted it oh, to him. Cool. I said, hey, dude. Yeah, uh, instead of spending spending thirty thousand dollars on on a secret room, how about you read this and pay attention and to it? Bulletproof seat covers. Yeah, yeah, that's actually it's a really well done PSA really promo. It's not too preachy, it's not too over the top, but it's also well drawn. And it I'm trying also to doesn't feature it. any superheroes. In the past PSAs that we've looked at, mm -hmm. uh, they featured Superman or they featured right. another superhero in them. This one. Just regular old Joe doing his part to be the hero to keep him, uh, the environment safe. And that's the thing about pollution. Sometimes you got to be a regular Joe. I think what it means is anyone can be a hero. Ting! The more you know. So they crisscross the globe trying to uh, figure out what's going on. They go to the reverse, uh, the reversed waterfalls where water shoots up over the <laughs> dam instead of falling down. That's a dumb you kind know, of invention. That is extremely dumb. You know what that's called? The giant sprinkler. It's just a giant fountain. Uh, but yeah. they do invent surfboards. Well, sure, but they invent them. Or boogie boards, very... I should say. They're more boogie boards than surf surfboards. They invent them of a very important metal and a very important first appearance in this issue. Okay, what is that? Inertron. Inertron. Inertron is proof against any force, including nuclear explosions. Mm. Inertron later becomes part and parcel of Legion lore. Inertron is something that people use, and the fusion power spheres that we see in this issue also come up later. But inertron pops up over and over and over. A lot of times inertron is used to neutralize people's superpowers or to place a supervillain in a room that they can't get out of. Unlike Rejuvium from last issue, which never shows up again, Inertron is referenced even into modern Legion stories. Very cool. Uh, we yep. also get to go to the Great Wind Control Center. <laughs> also known as Steven at a Mexican restaurant. Uh, we also get to vi vi uh, visit the Fusion Power Sphere. Mm -hmm. And the Fusion Power Sphere... Uh, later destroys the whole Earth. <clears throat> it, but does. No. it does? No! Well, it's in the Volume 4 Legion stories, which means it's retconned out of existence. So, you know, well, is anyway, it still a tragedy if it didn't happen? The kids take their boogie board and they close in on Starfinger because the Inertron disables his powers. Yep. It they, deflects his strange lightning bolts coming from his right hand. They wrestle him to the ground and they yank off his mask only to find, well, of course it's Lightning Lad. <laughs> but how could this happen? Everyone shrugs their shoulders and lifts their arms in the air at the same time. His robot arm was covered by a flesh-like plastic glove, and inside are super generators to transform his electrical powers into different kinds of rays. And then we discover that he has been under the power of Dr. McGoodlovin. <laughs> Dr. Handsome. Oh, yeah, the power of Dr. Handsome. We never know why... Dr. Handsome needs rejuvium. Uh, look at the, his sideburns. He's, he's got white hair. He's old. He wants to be young again. 
He wants to be young Dr. Old and not old Dr. Young. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but okay. Eh, he's evil. You know? they, they go and they capture the bad guy. They get the rejuvium back. Everyone lives mm-hmm. happily ever after. And then something that they never bring up in the rest of this issue. Hey, Lightning Lad, you had a flesh-covered glove on. How about we make your entire arm out of a flesh long glove? You can't do that. It would just be a simple, it would look more realistic than have his robot arm swinging around in every issue. And it would allow the artist a little bit more leeway into how they want to deal with his his fake arm. And for, you know, for most of the uh, readership, it would give DC an out to not commit to that robot arm if they don't want to, because it just looks like a regular flesh-covered arm. Uh, I think the robot arm is there for a reason. At yes. this point, the robot arm is loves there. Lightning, lightning lad. I think the rest, the uh, robot arm at this point is here to try and carry over the fact that there are ramifications and there are things that happen to you when you're a superhero, and that these things are meaningful. Now, granted, it does get overturned, mm-hmm. but they at least tried for there to be some consequence to being a superhero. Matthew, mm-hmm. we've come to the end of another Legion Clubhouse. We have. What did we learn this week? We learned that if you wear a helmet over your helmet, you're doubly protected. We also learned that if someone keeps raising their right arm and a character who has mysteriously gone missing in your story also has a right arm connection, they're probably one and the same. <laughs> and I think we learned the most important lesson of all that the friends we made along the way were the real Starfinger all along. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking us out this week. We're going to be back next time to, oh my gosh, is there a wedding in someone's future? Are we going to see some more Time Trapper? Oh, it's all coming up in future episodes of the Legion Clubhouse. Until then, dear listeners, I'm... It's pretty obvious there, kid. (laughs) And I'm Lad Lad. I have all the powers of a lad, but I'm a lad. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2018 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.